0: welcome back to the middle tech podcast i'm logan jones here with evan knowles recording out of awesome Inc. so i uh, heard you uh played some golf today with a past guest of ours tried to how'd that go uh
1: i've got a lot of work to do um <laughs> i went with chase Minfield, yeah. so he's built an easy turn helping hands uh awesome guy um he's good at golf you know he's definitely not uh amazing but I'm not one to talk because I wouldn't call myself good or even relatively close to being good. And golf is a networking uh, sport, man. The, yeah, I mean it's a good time. It's awesome just to go out there and you know peaceful, enjoy the weather, talk to people, and yep. just you know it's it's laid back. But um, yeah, I didn't I didn't play too good. I I will say he gave me a tip because uh, he's definitely way better than I am. But he gave me a tip. I was putting my whenever I hold the club, I'd put my uh, my thumb and I put it on the shaft. <laughs> and this time i r- rolled it over the side and it like made a huge difference it's a little things it's like, like a little things i probably golf. saved a few i probably saved a few strokes on that um another thing I need to work on is my driving game yeah uh, i can't hit straight so i just ended up hitting my irons my four
0: uh four uh four iron four iron you know the quickest way to save uh, 10 strokes off your golf game what's that an eraser a what an eraser what's that you erased the squirt. You erased oh, the numbers. two. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. Let's get into uh, this uh, this conversation we just had. We just had an awesome conversation with Joe Cox, um, founder of Stellar Plants. And he is doing some cool stuff with vertical farming,
1: um, some hydroponic farming stuff. What do you think of this conversation? Uh, I thought it was really good. Uh, we've had power Sun before. That was a great conversation. We've had them on twice. So this is, it's cool. It's interesting that we've had, you know, two now. I- ag tech companies on uh which is good to hear and mm-hmm. it's good to hear because you know 70 the world needs 70 percent more food production in order for the human race to even be here long term yeah like, and, to exist well, long term
0: uh, yeah you mentioned like having two of them on there i think it's also cool you brought it up in the episode and i think this is a cool point is this literally has like an expiration date yeah you know this he was saying 2050 we need to be able to produce you know more food for the population of of the world to be able to survive where people literally start dying. I think that's a unique, a unique thing for a business to have, you know, that in the future, if you don't solve this problem, people are going to literally die.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's really interesting. Not a whole lot of entry industries have that, Mm -hmm. you know, so there's a lot of purpose behind, you know, stellar plants and and others like app harvest uh, to succeed. And if, if they don't succeed, uh, then, People die, like you said, um, and that, that really puts pressure on not only you know stellar plants and app harvest, but you know the, the world as a whole. You know, so it, one of the things that we talked about in this episode was like there needs to be an environment, there needs to be a lot of funding. And Joe said one of the first things that needs to happen is we need to be more attention and more funding in the space in order for him and others mm-hmm. to come along and you know scale.
0: Yeah, I think so, one of the, one of the cool things uh, when we asked him what needs to happen to make Kentucky the ag tech capital of the world. Uh, to distill his answer was to say, we need more competition. We need a lot of people doing this, even if people are failing at doing it. Uh, we just need a lot of people putting resources to it and and ideas and hard work toward it uh, to get where we need to go in order to solve this food scarcity problem. And he mentioned it. You know, whoever solves this problem, it's probably not going to be just one person, but there's going to be trillion, a lot. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of people making a lot of money. Yeah, uh, solving and, this problem. And
1: Joe was very articulate about everything he talks about of course i mean he's running a very business in depth. and he's raising yeah. money so he has to but mm-hmm. but when i say articulate he also is explains this stuff in a way that's easy to understand yeah. so as a listener you're really going to enjoy this this episode uh because it's you know an up and coming very fast growing trend he yeah. said that funding in the space is growing at like 25% which is wild Uh, So this is really growing fast and it's cool to have somebody on here that has as much knowledge as he does. So this is going to be an awesome episode for everybody. Yeah.
0: Well, I mean, you can also tell that he really does his research. Totally. You know, he
1: had, he was pulling
0: out facts and stuff and about growth rates and about how much energy it takes to grow certain plants. And the way he answered some of those questions was really impressive and it made me really uh, excited to just continue to watch, where he's going to take that company so um, it was an awesome episode we really enjoyed it Uh, we're going to let you guys go ahead and get into it Um, we hope you guys enjoy
1: Going on, guys, we've got Joe Cox on the episode. Thanks for joining us, Joe.
2: Thank you for having me. It's Absolutely. definitely a pleasure.
1: Yeah, you know, we're excited about the conversation. We've uh, we've had a few podcasts with App Harvest, who's doing some amazing agriculture and farming. So, we're looking forward to the discussion with you as well and hearing you what know, the amazing things that you're doing uh, yourself. So, we know you actually. Logan knew you from uh, what was it Five Across? Yeah, so Joe and I have talked a couple times. I don't remember.
0: Uh, it was a big winner of five across, which was super exciting. I still remember that one. Uh, it was awesome to see how excited you were over it. It just shows how how big of a deal that whole thing has turned into. And it's really, it's cool to see people uh, winning that and it meaning a lot to them. And then uh, you also came to our live podcast with Flywire, I believe that was. Yes, I did. Yes. Yeah. And you stuck around and talked to me afterwards and told us uh, how much you appreciated what we were doing with the podcast and talked about wanting to get on it. And now here we are. So we're super excited to have you here. And, dive into your background and your story and what you're doing with Stellar Plants. Yeah.
2: Yes. So uh, Stellar Plants is a indoor vertical farm. Uh, We aim to become one of the major plant factories in the United States. So basically what, what a plant factory is, is you're able to produce a head of lettuce from start to harvest to delivery. And all of these steps are to be as automated as possible. So basically, at the end of the day, our technology allows us to create such efficiencies in the supply chain management that it's very easy for you to jump on your phone, order from, let's say, Stellar Plants or perhaps even Apps Harvest at some point, and then they will be able to deliver your head of lettuce um, or your groceries directly to you. This is the future as I see it, and there's a lot of interest in it, you know, moving forward. Yeah, yeah so
0: I, I want to talk a little bit. I want to go back a step and get into your background and how you kind of came to this idea and, and how you've gotten through uh, where you came from and, and your your educational background. So why don't you start with just where you're from and then we'll get into education, and everything like that.
2: Yes, yeah, so uh, I'm from Chicago. Uh, well, this a suburb of Chicago called Mokina. And I met Kelly and Mokina Uh, and we basically moved down to Mattoon, Illinois, where she was accepted into a biology program at, uh, East, uh, Eastern Illinois University. And I applied to the same school and unfortunately I was denied. (laughs) Uh, I, I guess I didn't have the grades. I, I actually went through and I tried to get in, um, through some of their remedial systems, et cetera, but it was still not enough. So I decided, okay, well, what else can I do? And I was very interested in both uh, blockchain technology and, at at the time, you know, Kelly is plant-based, so we would spend quite a bit of money on uh, good organic food, things that didn't have pesticides, uh, non-GMO, so on and so forth. And it was really hard to find high-quality produce. And this got me really thinking, well, what, what's the problem? Uh, we should have a lot of farms, you know, especially in Illinois. Uh, this shouldn't be an issue. And what I started to find out is, actually, this is a big issue, and especially the closer you get to metropolitan cities. And this is something that I said, okay, well, what can we do? And this was about six years ago. So this is when we had fluorescent lights uh, and really immature technology from a vertical farming uh, perspective. And to show how far things actually had, cam- had come from then is we didn't even have blue LED diodes uh, available. So there was no LED lighting for vertical farming at that point in time. And I said, well, let me see what I can do. And we put together uh, some systems. I'll have to send you some pictures of when I was doing the wiring myself in order to see what we needed to do. I was begging manufacturing companies, "Can I get a sample here? Can I get a sample there?" And just cobble together some systems with my back end network. Um, and eventually, what we what we got was something, you know, working in a spare bedroom uh, early on, and you know, kind of expand it from there. But, you know, that's really my background is um, I, I taught myself uh, through EDX and Coursera and all of my other friends who had much, you know, greater understanding of electrical engineering and or mathematics really helped me through uh, pieces that I really didn't understand and had no right dealing with on my own. <laughs> you don't want to kill yourself with, uh, you know, wires exposed or, or burn down a house.
1: Yeah, no, that's really interesting. I was going to ask how you how you educate yourself to even build a you know vertical farm or hydroponics in the first place. You know, I don't I don't know where on the internet to to get a course on that. So did uh, Coursera and uh, EdX have courses on indoor farming or what?
2: Not exactly, especially not back then. Uh, no. A lot of it was papers. Uh, so I was always very interested in looking at what current technology is coming out and what. Uh, what the boundaries were being pushed. So we would, me and Kelly would go through and look at what are are the journal articles that had come out that were peer reviewed and we would go through and say, okay, well this is something here, can we replicate this? And actually in the beginning, I failed horribly over and over and over. We started with aeroponics. I love the idea that NASA came up with uh, which was atomizing a cloud uh, or water into these nanoparticles that could be taken up by the root systems of your plants at you know extraordinary efficiencies uh, to allow for accelerated plant growth and I tried that for about a year uh, and eventually hmm. came to the conclusion that these pieces were relatively expensive and they were breaking all the time I was like from a company standpoint that can't happen we were getting some growth we were doing okay uh, but from an economics point of view, it's like, well, you have to make money at some point. And I was very immature when it came to business at that point in time. But then I said, well, can we make a hydroponic system that is easier uh, to set up and that can scale? And that's yeah. where, you know, we moved into the vertical uh, farming setups.
1: Yeah, let's, uh, let's take a little bit of a, of a step before we start talking deeply about your product and your company. And let's kind of set the foundation about the actual problem. You know, you, you had a personal problem with, you know, you guys are Kelly's plant-based and you wanted to really make sure that you guys had easy access and other people had easy access to that. But when we got on the phone the other day, you had mentioned that when you started doing your research, you, re- you realized that there's a bigger worldwide food demand problem here that needs to be solved. And companies like App Harvest and yourself and many others that are doing hydroponics on a large scale are going to be not only needed, but absolutely necessary for humanity to live on this planet long-term. So talk about that problem and what you've learned you know, researching yes. that.
2: So some of the statistics are are, are actually quite terrifying uh, when you really break this down. Uh, you know, only an additional 2% of land is suitable suitable for Global crop cultivation, and then on top of that, we have to actually increase our global food production by seventy percent by 2050. We're in 2020 right now. You know, maybe 20 years ago that sounded like a long time from from now. But if you were to go buy a house right now, and by the time you would av- or the average person would pay it off at a 30-year loan, 2050 is here. We better have seventy percent more food production than we did. When you first bought that house. And that doesn't seem like a lot, but it actually is an extraordinary amount when you're talking about billions upon billions upon billions of pounds of produce. And when some of the best plant factories right now are only capable of doing, let's say, 10 to 50 million pounds a year of produce, that is an extraordinary leap to say we're gonna be able to produce billions of pounds per year, in addition to what we might be missing from uh, from an an additional production from climate change affecting weather patterns, Mm. uh, which we're already starting to see dips in lettuce production in California because the droughts are so extreme. And when we're talking about dips of 6%, or you know, 3%, we're talking about millions upon millions of pounds of produce that no, never reach the shelf. And then you have an additional issue where transportation uh, becomes a problem. You need to increase these efficiencies and you need to be able to centralize food production in various different regions so you get the highest quality of produce at a consistent basis and a steady stream of deliveries to the general public uh, in the future. And this yeah. is not just in the United States. This is all across the planet.
1: I was just about to ask about, you know, the worldwide thing there, and I'm glad you brought that up. You know, the United States, you know, as a country, we have people like yourself um, that are really, you know, we're definitely far beyond many other countries as far as technology goes. You know, it's us and China as far as technology. Um, Other countries like, you know, other continents like Africa or countries like India, where have you looked and seen where they are in this process at all?
2: Yes. So. India, Africa's population is increasing quite substantially, and they they are expected to be one of the net positive populations in the next twenty five years. Uh, same thing with India, and India has a a very large subsection of people that are already plant based. Yeah. So it is actually becoming increasingly important for these facilities to set up not only in Africa but in places like India too. Basically, where you have areas that are easily destabilized because you might not have the food production uh, available, it's going to be very instrumental for governments to implement programs. Uh, and it might not just be a company. It might be a government effort, uh, either leasing technology from the United States or or setting up grant systems to develop their own technologies. It doesn't matter how it has to happen. All we know is that Growing at a 3D environment means that you can grow a lot more than in a 2D plane, yeah. and this is just required moving forward. Uh, it's orders of magnitude better, uh, and the efficiencies that you save from a closed-loop system in both water uh, conservation, which is really the big one from the environment standpoint, and saving on the fertilizers that you would use. It's about 90. You can get to about 98% if you're really, really careful. Uh, for our water conservation, and it's in the upper eighty-eight to ninety uh, percent uh, for fertilizer utilization. So you you save a lot of money. Now the downside is is that you're trading electricity for production. That can be offset by our advances in energy technology. Acceler. So this, this this is a huge culmination of our advances in. Battery storage, solar technology, wind technology, um, and and various other uh, pieces being basically legacized in terms of what the costs are. You know, people don't realize that a lot of the farms right now, uh, when they buy a John Deere piece of equipment, it's you know half a million dollars. Well, you spend half a million dollars setting up, you know, a vertical farm, and you're you're also able to generate a large amount of produce you know, for your, for your area that can be produced year round. And that's the other thing is you're you're no longer uh, required to say, is this environment going to produce this for me? It's now the environment's a completely separate factor that doesn't play a role really in your ability to produce, let's say, lettuce, uh, cucumbers, tomatoes, you know, basil, what have you. Uh, it, It is now independent because you control that artificial environment. And these are known as artificially controlled environments, and a lot of research has been put done and put in into stabilizing these grow areas so that we can optimize production as far as possible.
0: So I kind of I kind of have a two-part question here. First, is this going to be a trend where pretty much any type of produce is going to be grown in these hydroponic vertical farms or, or indoors of some sort and two what are the current limitations of that? Like, I would assume you can't grow corn or anything that grows really tall. And I mean, is that, are you seeing any innovation uh, that's happening in that area as well?
2: That's actually, that's, that's an excellent question. And there, what I believe is almost everything is going to move to vertical farming eventually.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Now, there is a three-phase piece uh, that wonderful, brilliant scientists have come out with Uh, that I can't take credit for. (laughs) But basically, it breaks it down into three categories. The first category is leafy greens. Leafy greens don't take as much solar energy. uh, And the solar energy in this case is coming from LED lighting, which you're trading energy for light to grow your plants. Uh, The next phase is berries. Berries, you know, you can think of as uh, tomatoes, blueberries, raspberries, you know, any other type of berry. uh, Fruiting crop. Uh, under those categories. And that takes about five times the amount of energy that leafy greens take. So that's quite a substantial jump and we have just gotten to the point where you could actually grow berry system or berry plants at a near cost effective and competitive rate as conventional farming from an Mm. organic standpoint. Uh, Now the next piece here we are not at, which is grains. Uh, grains take about 25 or 50 times the amount of energy. I, I'm, I don't remember the exact number, but it's close uh, to that. And when we're talking about, and this is 25 to 50 times more than berries, that means that you need to have a system that can grow or produce energy at a rate that is uh, 25 times more efficient than what we currently have right now in order to to c- compete with you know, conventional farming or equal um, what we currently have right now. Now, it might just mean later on that we, it doesn't matter about efficiency. We just need to produce more. This very much could be the case where we say cost doesn't really matter. Governments will subsidize, so on and so forth. We have you know, 10 to 12 billion people on the planet. We just need to feed people. Mm-hmm. That could be a reality. Um, but for the early days of this technology, it is very important for everybody to get the economics right. And and let me, you know, stress the point that there will be failures. We will see multi-billion dollar companies possibly go belly up uh, if they don't do things, you know, right. And that's not saying that everything is wrong or that there's an extreme failure. That is saying innovation requires, you know, some people to get things wrong here and there and others to learn from them you know a good good example of that was farmed here mm-hmm. in chicago and they they came in really early with fluorescent lighting and allowed you know a lot of the groundwork in saying what works and what doesn't uh, from a horizontal stacking uh, of you know leafy greens and they showed where inefficiencies were so other systems could you know adopt better uh, practices that allowed them to succeed. And that was about a $40 million venture that failed. Wow.
0: Yeah. I mean, we always talk about the failures on this podcast and you have to kind of look at the failures as stepping stones up into the ultimate, what we're actually shooting for. Um, but let's kind of dive into what actually goes into this vertical farming. Cause you, you got pretty technical uh, when we were on the phone about what these vertical farms are like and all these different sensors that can go into it. So let's talk about that. And then let's start transitioning into why farm uh, vertical farming is better. So let's just start with what actually goes into vertical farming and talk a little bit about how it differs from traditional farming.
2: Okay, so when you think I have a indoor controlled environment, what does that mean? So I need to know how much CO2 is in that environment. How much light am I putting on these plants from a, you know parts per million or a, a PPF? And how, what does the nutrient blend look like? Now you could also say how much airflow needs to go through this system. Uh, what's the humidity at at this point? You know, are there, are there zones that aren't getting enough um, movement of air or circulation? What's the heat? And all of these zones need to be very spe- specific to the crop. And in order to do that, you have to develop sensors uh, or buy them off, off the uh, market. I would argue that developing your own uh, platform is probably a little bit better uh, because you can control things uh, and, and get the information that you really want um, in the long term, uh, and then you don't have to worry about how you utilize um, your technology because it 's yours
1: or um, dealing with a customer success team.
2: Yeah, <laughs> yes. So you need all of this information, and okay, so what does this information actually give you let 's take example Basil. Um, Basil really likes it at 80 degrees, but maybe it likes it better at 82 degrees. Well, how do you know this? You have to go through these trial and errors. Does it like you know, 800 parts per million for CO2? Or does it like 1,400 parts per million? And you need to go through and you need to have massive amounts of, of data sets and, and experiments uh, done, which you can quickly turn over with vertical farming. And this is the this is really, really cool thing. So what ended up from a common standpoint with conventional farming is they would plant in hawaii and the reason they would plant in hawaii uh for the new seeds that were being developed is because they could get three different harvests a year which was big like compared to one sometimes so this was three times better for them to get the data well with the indoor control environment we could have 500 towers Let's say a, a block is 10 towers. Well, you can have 50 different experiments going on and mm. different types of you know, humidity, CO2 levels, uh, concentration, nutrient concentration, uh, so on and so forth. And you, you can optimize uh, extraordinarily fast for that plant, especially yeah. when you bring in machine learning. Exactly, that's um, what I was thinking of. analytics. Yeah. Which we got really lucky uh, with one of our team members. He's a machine learning expert from, uh, honeydew melon, and I I was really thro- enthralled that he he loved the idea of what we're doing, wanted to join us, and he did um you know research with Bear Crop Sciences, so he understood what this meant uh from pushing the limitations of what data is able to give us uh and what that means for optimizing these systems because from a commercial standpoint, once you optimize a system and get to the very technical points here, that means that you might be able to compete at price. And that's very important in the future is that right now it's a vanity project if you can't compete at price or have a niche. uh, You can have a niche right now where you say, well, I have an expensive product and maybe you can buy it and maybe you can buy it, but can somebody on food stamps buy it? And what needs to happen is Everybody has to be able to afford it like they did, you know, ahead of lettuce at the end of the day, when, when things reach the maturity for this industry. I don't quite know when that'll happen. I would suspect probably about five years from now, we'll really get to that point uh, based on how fast technology is developing. But you need to be able to say, everybody has the right to high quality produce, regardless of the demographic that they're in.
0: Mm -hmm. So I think one of my next questions was going to be, you know, why, why and how is indoor farming and vertical farming better? But I think you kind of answered it there is because we can control these environments and apply all this data analytics to it and machine learning. You know, if we can control exactly how much CO2 is in the air and exactly how much water we're getting where you can't do that when it's just outside, you can't collect that kind of data. It seems like once you aggregate all of that, it's just going to be an explosion of, of knowledge of how to produce plants and how to, make all of this so streamlined and, and improve the entire process. So aside from that part of it, talk a little bit about how it's going to improve the quality and the cost and, and the output and all of that sort of thing as
2: well. So the output is, is self, uh, pretty, pretty straightforward. You, if you're harvesting every week um, on a rotation, then that means that you're harvesting 52 weeks out of the year, as mm-hmm. opposed to, you know, maybe you can harvest spinach two or three times a year. Well, if you're harvesting 52 times, you, know, you you're 24 times or so better, um, you know, from a, uh, just a harvest standpoint, uh, which means that you have more produce for people. And then, growing on a three-dimensional plane, you're saying I get to utilize space, mm-hmm. like all this all this wasted space around me. You know, we have shelves for a reason, uh, because you know, putting everything on the ground
1: doesn't really make <laughs> sense.
2: Uh we have to utilize what we're given, which is a three dimensional plane uh and optimize for that and then year round production uh in the form of having artificial lighting allows you to say i don't need the sun giving me the light you know for this project for for this farm to operate year round I get to say there's sixteen hours of sunlight, regardless if it's if it's cloudy or if it's rainy or whatever have you i'm going to have that constant product that, you know, a lot of people don't realize when you, when you go to the store and you buy a bell pepper, okay, everybody likes the, how the bell peppers look, right? You know, they, they look, you know, really nice, beautiful, and it's like, wow, it's really consistent. What they don't realize is that those are grade A bell peppers, and they actually give, there's an organization that gives a ranking um, to what a bell pepper actually is supposed to look like, um, and this is because this is what people expected to look like and this is what you know they deem as the highest premium quality and the farmers get that that money you know that premium price for it well it's a small fraction of the overall bell peppers that are produced and what that means is we actually have substantial inefficiencies when it comes to the end consumer product and and why the prices might be higher you know at the end of the day whereas if you're controlling for all of this you can actually really get you know um, a very precise and standardized product. You know, when we were growing basil, um, you know, and harvesting weekly, this, this product was consistent mm-hmm. every week. Yep. You know, even, even if we changed minor things here, they, they were pretty consistent, you know, throughout this whole process. And what that means is we can say we're charging this and you're going to expect to pay this, you know, as a store or as, as a restaurant and that way they know what what's coming down the line and as we get more efficient we we plan to reduce you know pricings moving forward so i i don't know if i just tangent it no that, that
0: was that was great that answered that and i think you started diving into where i wanted to take it next was let's dive in to to seller plants as a business and some of these uh these sales channels that you talked about when we when we hopped on the phone to so talk a little bit about
2: how you uh, make where, money
0: yeah how you make money where are you, how you make eating? money
2: yeah uh so Uh, This is actually something that is really core and into startups and um, early entrepreneur sets uh, that, by the way, I've only been doing for about a year and a half. I am learning this as fast as possible, Uh, but it it has been a a very valuable experience uh, for myself and, and, you know, bringing a team around you. Uh, So what does that actually look like? Well, In the early days, and it was still early, but I mean, when we had three towers and it was a prototype and I said, well, can I get into a place? I literally brought a sample, walked in to Honeywood and said, we have this product. Would you like to buy it from us? And, you know, Josh was there, uh, the, the executive chef, and he literally tried it right there. I was like, I didn't expect that. I was like, "Okay, you're gonna smell it, etc." You just <laughs> straight up ate it. He's like, "It's it's really good." Do you plan to have other products in the future? I said, "Yes, yes, we do." Uh, and he said, "Okay, well, I'll purchase it. I'll buy it." Uh, we agreed upon a price, and that was the first like entrance into, "Okay, I can sell this." Now, what I what I didn't say beforehand was, I w- I actually had the door shut in my face about five other times that day, you know, from different restaurants they were either franchise or so on. And so forth. I didn't realize where I needed to actually focus a sales channel on. So then I said, okay, well, if we can get a really good product, what does it look like for Whole Foods? So I went into Whole Foods and we started, you know, dialogue with them and we're on the process of being onboarded, you know, with them. It's a very long process. Uh, now it's not as easy as it was before, but you know, a long, long cycle. And they, they very much like what we're doing, and and the quality of the product uh has been shown around. So we're very optimistic moving forward that we can, you know, close that that deal. Uh that would look like, as they told me, we'd just max out what you can produce. I'm like, okay. What whatever that means to us at that point, sure. We're like, well, we know we know you can produce something, so we'll just take it all. Uh and I was like, okay. Uh it's nice to have, you know, somebody like that. Uh and then then it's cold calling. Like when you when you get into like the bare bones like oh, feeling yeah. of, of sales, you know, that that gut wrenching, like, do I yes. really like to do this? Um, you know, I actually called, you know, Castellini, I called Robinson Fresh, I called Papanias, I called uh, Horton Fruit Company. Uh, Horton Fruit Company actually, we had a good reception, I had a meeting with the executives there. Uh, they're interested in leafy greens from us and carrying an herb line. Robinson Fresh, same thing. We actually have a list of three different things that we have to complete, uh, to finish, you know, these sales cycle with them. And that, you know, the first thing that they're looking for is, you know, they told me, well, we only deal things in truckloads. And I was like, Great. How much is a, how much is a truckload? <laughs> twenty twenty thousand uh, pounds. how often? Every week. Yeah. We can do that <laughs> um now, obviously, we would scale up and we 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 ironed out details, et cetera, but at the time when i when i when I got hit with that type of question, it's like, oh, this is these distributors don't like to do like twenty five pounds of basil. oh, they
1: do will mess around.
2: No, no, they're like, uh, can we have twenty thousand pounds of kale, or probably you know." And the order of a thousand pounds of, of, you know, herb products. And then, and then they would like, you know, other types of products that we would like to, you know, move forward on, but it is really grindy in the beginning. And in order to, you know, build up the hype about what you're doing, why you're doing it and, and moving forward into really branding yourself as we are a trustworthy product that is looking to, you know, move forward and change, the, the landscape of how people, you know, experience food and how, how many different products people can actually have access to in the future. And we have to go back and say, from our financial model, what does it cost us to make something? Um, you know, I can, I can say we're, we we can get close uh, to conventional farming in terms of cost. Um, I'm not going to say the exact number because, you know, it was prying crying years in the world, but we, we, we can get close. And then with automation, we should actually surpass that. And by automation, you know, I mean, automated seeders all the way through, um, you know, harvesting. And that's why we actually, you know, got Michael Lehman um, to be part of the team as well, which he's actually extremely enthusiastic on what we're doing uh, he has his PhD in electrical engineering, has brought products from early prototype all the way to scale, um, associate professor at university of Kentucky. So it gives us access to that branch and, and a lot more talent moving forward. Um, So that that's kind of what, you know, early sales cycles for a startup looks like. And then you go and you say, well, everybody, we got, we, we got all of this interest who wants to throw us a bone.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm so glad you brought up, uh, you know, the, the difficulty of sales and, you know, you can have an amazing product. It doesn't matter how good your product is. If, if you're not there selling it, uh, you're not going to, can't get anywhere. So it's amazing that you're learning that and going through that, you know, now so that as the company, you know, scales, you guys really, really use that. And you have to, I mean, you have it's not, it's cart before the horse. You have to have sales before you really scale anyways. Right. So I'm you have to
2: have some interest built totally. in what you're doing.
1: Absolutely. You had mentioned that one of the one of the three. You had mentioned that there's criteria that you know a Whole Foods or a Robinson looks at before they accept, uh, you know, produce from somebody. One of those factors was you know being able to produce the quantity they need. It sounded like. What What are some of the others? Give us an idea on what some of the other things they look at when they vet.
2: So, uh, for wholesale producers, you're going to need something called GAP certification and uh, GMP, which is Good Manufacturing Practices. Uh, these things are um, aspects that your science team and, and or your management team will come up with um, in order to uh, basically say good agricultural practices, you know, are, are we, they were designed in a way of, if you had a farm, were you having animal livestock too close to the corn? Hmm. And if it was too close, then there might've been fecal runoff, which could get people sick. So you had to have practices in place that say, I wash my food. I make sure that these, you know, discharge of waste is not close to the product. Uh, You know, the place that I'm harvesting and sorting, is it, is there mold? Is it clean? Um, Are the workers following best practices when it comes to, you know, gloving, uh, washing their hands? how are they moving product from point a to point b how many people have their their hands on the product and then tracking the product is a big big piece so a lot of um a lot of instances if somebody gets sick in the future um from you know a, a regular farm etc and and there's this big news piece and it's like you know this lettuce is you know had, had e coli or something and it came from maybe this farm in california well, how do they know it was from that farm in California? It's because uh, good agricultural practices and good manufacturing practices require you to document each and every phase and then have managers sign off on these, on these uh, floor level so that you know what workers were there, what boxes came from where, uh, and so on and so forth. So you have to have these in place, uh, and those are absolutely required for distribution companies.
1: Maybe a little blockchain action there?
2: Yes, uh, <laughs> we, I, that was actually something I was really hoping to integrate uh, moving forward um, through a barcoding system, et cetera, or a QR code, um, is that you'd be able to scan our product and it would tell you exactly what tower it came from. Hmm. Um, and you know what facility, uh, how, how long ago was it harvested, so on and so forth. Uh, hmm. So you would have a lot more information and and these these things would change based on harvest you know times etc so if we have to track this regardless you might as well use you know a high tech solution you know moving forward
1: and earlier i'm sure the earlier you implement something like that the the better you know
2: yes yes and and, and we do know we do know you know quite a few in, individuals capable of um setting up a system like that uh, it would be integrated into our normal barcoding system so after our first pilot facility we'll probably you know, move forward into something like that. Um, But then uh, the next piece is they want to see your place now. Um, So these large distributors will come out and they'll say, well, let's visit the farm. If it's a vertical farm, it doesn't, it doesn't matter anymore. I guess there might've been some problems where they were letting people in beforehand and they didn't actually have a farm. They just acted as a broker. Um, A lot of organizations that are distributors are moving away from the idea of just going through, you know, a broker setting and going direct to the farm, uh, because it builds in a, a layer of trust and it helps shore up their supply. Um, it's it's a mutually beneficial if you have really good uh, distribution companies looking to work with you.
1: That makes a ton of sense. Um, so we've been talking about you know stellar plants, and we've had App Harvest on our podcast before. When you look at somebody on on that scale, you look at. What they've built, uh, what they plan to build, uh, what are your opinions on what they're doing and what you see there?
2: So, I mean, that's a very interesting question. Um, the the short The short answer, and there's there's a there's a huge line of things that you know you can go across the spectrum of you know, are you doing this? Are you doing that? But really, what matters is there needs to be a lot of players in this this space. And I'm not I'm not talking about three people. I'm not, I'm not talking about six people. There needs to be over hundred, mid to large. Uh, vertical farms in, in, in the early days saying, you know, we're doing this this way. Maybe maybe it gets to the point where everybody's more um, collaborative on on what it is I did here versus you did there and we're able to, you know, move forward and say, I, I understand we're all competition, but the problem is so extreme that it's almost better to say we know that this is going to be replacing conventional farming in the future. So working together and, and helping each other scale into the future um, and, and solve these problems likely opens up more market share uh, in the midterm. And then maybe people can hash it out in, you know, 25 years through consolidation stuff. Uh, when, when the technology is very mature and, you know, People want out of, you know, being founders of, you know, early stage vertical farming systems, et cetera. You know, there'll be a consolidation period. Absolutely. Yeah. But the competitive advantages are, are spread out uh, along the lines of like, who's your team, in my opinion? And can your team scale a system, need it, in order to do, you know, 100,000 pounds of produce a week with a contract that you get? Because that's the key. When you get these contracts, it's like, oh, I, I made it. I'm a multimillionaire. I'm, you know, I'm going to be a billionaire. No. Actually, that's where things get really hard because, let me tell you, they're not going to say, oh, you, did, you didn't deliver this week? That's okay. Next week's fine. They're going to say, if you don't do it next week, this, this contract's canceled. And by the way, you already occurred a penalty because our clients didn't get their food. Because, and we occurred a penalty. And and the trust system breaks down. Now it becomes very real and very hard, and, and you have to be able to say, I absolutely have to, you know, make these deliveries every single week, uh, because people depend on the produce being there. Uh, we've gotten very accustomed to the store's shelves being full, and when they're not, things get really really scary. You know, when you miss a couple weeks. Yeah.
1: Uh, so we're starting to see in a lot of industries, you know, big business, Amazon, Google, a lot of these major companies that have consumer facing brands, uh, enter markets that you didn't think they would enter, whether it's building homes. Do you see that happening here? Is it starting to happen? Are big businesses be moving? Up. Okay. So, you know, Google's moved into like life sciences with like Verily and you know, their whole uh Google X initiative and like, they're making crazy investments all over the place that you wouldn't expect them to. Who's who are some of the players that are gigantic moving into this?
2: So, some uh, obviously, if you're in the vertical farming industry, and I, I know App Harvest absolutely knows this, um, Jeff Bezos was one of the investors into Plenty. Yeah. Jeff Bezos bought, uh, you know, or Amazon, I should say, you know, bought Whole Foods. There's a lot more vertical in- integration that people don't realize. What technology really is now, it is not can I sell you a software as a service piece in this day and age? It is, can I have a hard good automatic, or from an automated standpoint, produced, have the logistics network that says from you ordering on your phone or computer, and so on and so forth, can that be automatically delivered to the endpoint user? Be it a store, be it an individual consumer? Uh, does this need to be dropped delivered via drone? Uh, does you know is this person going to be running out of milk in three days when was the last time they purchased you know a salad are they up for it the next time um (laughs) and and having these these systems integrated to a point of view what really does feel i mean sort of intrusive but some of the piece some of the underlining technologies really allow you to integrate better into society and and we we forget how spoiled we are a little bit with how advanced technology is getting where you can say, you know, in two days, you know, Amazon delivers your, your, your item to you. Imagine, you know, in the next five to 10 years, you order something on, and and it might be sooner, uh, you know, stellar plant site um, could be a a huge plethora of things at that point, hopefully. Uh, And we drone deliver it to you in two and a half hours because you're within that hub, you know, range for us. And we we had already known uh, based on the the product demand in the area through sophisticated analytics uh, and algorithms uh, to grow in advance. And because we're so efficient at growing, the cost to us isn't that extreme versus us not growing. So we get to take hits that normal conventional farming never had in a million years was able to do. We could say that you want you know, or a subsection of this population in this area likely wants Russian kale. You might not know what Russian kale is, but that subsection does, and we've identified it before they you know, went and made a purchase, and we grew it in advance and then said, you know, would you like to buy this, et cetera. And it's there on demand, and you never knew how that happened, and it's integrated into the back-end systems of our everyday technology. That's the future
1: great we were going to ask you that question what's the future you perfectly just answered that before we even asked it <laughs> so in order to get there though right there needs to be capital you know app harvest raised a little like over 100 million dollars 120 million dollars or something like that in a matter of you know three two three years um so there's funding there um talk about funding that you're seeing plant you mentioned to mention plantly or plantly uh plenty plenty plenty,
2: plenty. and arrow and farms
1: AeroFarm, so what's the investment look like beyond App Harvest, because we've talked about that? What are some other major investments you've been seeing? And what's, And then we'll transition to you know the, the raising capital yourself and, and the experience you've
2: had. So money is definitely going into this industry. Uh, so it's growing at a compound annual growth rate of um, 24 to 28% per year, depending on which article you, you read at the time, which is extraordinary growth rate. Yeah. Uh, the only other high high growth rate, That I've seen is drone technology, um, at that level, and that's at like fifty-eight percent. Don't even—that's insane. Uh, But basically, you know, pieces of that could be integrated into um, vertical farming, et cetera. So you know, you get you get both sides a little bit. But from the overall investment, there needs to be more money put into it. You know, we put over a trillion dollar—you know, several trillion dollars—in the course of the history of conventional farming. This is a disruptive future or technology for the future. We can see it. Companies are becoming very, very, very serious on developing LED lighting technology that is far more efficient, specific diodes, making things like matrix medias, uh, so on and so forth. Like All of the pieces are coming in from major companies taking investment in from a product standpoint because they see an upcoming industry that has to build out in the order of magnitude of Hundreds of billions, if not you know trillions of dollars in the future, people that get in early and, and that pick winners um, are likely to be extraordinarily you know rewarded. This is one of those things where if you solve food security, you're pretty much an immediate billionaire uh, it, There is no way around that like you don't just say i can I can produce you know a hundred million pounds of lettuce at this cost, and I have you know People that want lettuce, obviously across the planet, I'm not going to make money, and which means that you're you know making hundreds of millions of dollars, if not more, and the barriers to entry will then be established probably in the next three to five years like there's, there's definitely a cutoff period, but I would like to see a lot of um, early stage companies reach mid to large tier farms uh, before that before that phase actually hits not just us or not just app harvest i mean in the order of magnitude of uh 400 million dollars per you know organization in terms of raising if not you know in in the billion dollar range
1: when you were talking about you know how rewarding this is going to be i immediately thought well why why is that well of course everybody needs food and really it just comes down to maslow's you know hierarchy of needs you know you got to have food and shelter and when you look at the market and the world's economy like by far one of the biggest if not the biggest is is like real estate like shelter providing shelter and places for people to not only live and do business but you know edu- you know education and, and there's just so many reasons that shelter needs to be a thing and it just comes back to maslow's you know hierarchy of needs well food is you know n- number number one on there right and you gotta have food to sustain a person's you know body and that's why if somebody figures this out just you know just to kind of paint that picture maybe a little differently that's that's why this is going to be so rewarding right
2: Yes, and and this is in multiple phases. Um, obviously, if my my opinion is, if a startup can assemble a team, and and enter into a, a market that is growing fast, there's a good chance that you might want to try and back them in an earlier round, and say, can this person you know come up with something? Can can they do a little bit of something, and then you know move forward past that? In Kentucky, I think that investment needs to. Definitely increase uh, in the number of deal sets done um, because right now you, you kind of, the feeling is, well, can you go to New York or can you go to California or Chicago and, and raise money faster? Because there, there's, a, there's a time piece for, for startups. Did you enter into the right time? And if you did, can you execute on that with being able to raise the type of capital uh, that you require in order to make an impact fast enough? Um and these are opportunity costs for you know entrepreneurs and the team uh that is that is with them. Now don't don't mistake it that if you have a team of seven highly qualified people, there is no reason why those highly qualified people aren't capable of going and getting a high paying job elsewhere. You know, we have some very talented people like you know Brett Anderson for our sales, uh David uh Hassler who went and was an executive at Walmart. Uh, we have Adam from marrow as our um, brand design uh, you know phenomenal work that he does. you know these people are spending you know their time to to move forward with stellar plants because this is something that each person sees is uh, a is a massive problem that needs to be sorted out in the future and and they want to be part of that and i I would hope that you know, we see deal sets completed uh, in the future as as quick as possible uh, because you know it, time's ticking. You need you need to have this solved by at least twenty fifty, and the problem just doesn't end there. You have to feed people.
1: It's really mm-hmm. unique that there's a like a time limit on this problem. Like that that's that's got to be like helpful, right? It's like got to be. There's not many other industries or problems where. It's like if we don't solve this, if somebody doesn't come along and successfully do this, then people will die. Like the world is not going to be sustainable if this problem's not solved. So like I'm sure that helps from a lot of perspectives, you know, from a recruiting perspective for getting people excited, like purpose-driven company, um, from a perspective of investors. That's just an interesting concept, right?
2: Yes. So it definitely it it does help. The problem is is that people don't understand like long time sets. If I told you five years from now, this had to be done, you would be like, Oh, here, here's a check. I don't, I don't want to starve in five years. Mm -hmm. Um, Same thing, you know, with what we're seeing, you know, now with uh, COVID-19, et cetera, you know, it's an immediate threat to us. And we deal well as humans with immediate threats. But when something is in, you know, in the orders of 30 years away, it's like, well, we can wait.
1: Procrastination, like, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, yeah. Studying for an exam—it's always the night before and morning of. <laughs> yeah, <Even> for you.
2: <laughs> and the the difficulty that comes in is when you say, by the way, if you know we're looking to scale this and we have companies like you know Boneyo that we identified to do our our fabrication, et cetera, it it would take you know years. Uh, you know, in essence, to get to the type of production uh, capabilities to replace conventional farming. And we're talking like large amounts, billions of pounds, but still, um, it's hard to, to explain to people, let's do this now, because this is when the technology really needs to be developed. So we have the full template, we know exactly what, what we need to do in order to produce, let's say, 50 to 100 different products. And that we can copy and paste, you know, just like any, 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 you know, typing program, et cetera, whatever, have you, um, analogy, and we can, you know, basically control V all across, you know, the United States from a plant factory standpoint, that template is now made. We understand what needs to go in. We have the logistics set up and all the other back end systems, you know, that took, you know, five years to develop that's done. Now we just deal with production. Um, and that's where you kind of have to get to And this. I would still say we're within the early stages of, of this technology. Yeah. After, we, after we start touching the grains, you know, moving back to that, we're in the late stages of technology. When we say we're getting close to this piece, that then, you know, entry to this, this market is basically you invest via, you know, a stock on NASDAQ. Or you know the public markets, because mm-hmm. the competition will already have succeeded at that point.
0: Yeah, I'd like you to uh, dive in a little bit to your experience with fundraising in this area, and and what you're wanting to do with the funds that you raise, and then maybe some learnings that you've had from this whole process of, of trying to fundraise and build this company.
2: So that's a very good question. Um, I I wish that I was one of those companies that said you know this came easy, mm-hmm. uh, but You know it's it's difficult fundraising in Kentucky. That's that's not a um, an unknown, Uh, especially when you're a consumer packaged good, is what we're classified as. We uh, it's hard to get organizations to really feel that they should back a company that has you know large expenditures up front. I mean, a lot of companies have large expenditures up front, even software as a service companies, depending on. You know what your core team is, um, but you know this is when when you're classified under that, and and your investment communities in the area are looking more at technology plays or software as a service plays, the investment pool becomes smaller and smaller. And what I've what I've discovered is there are people here willing to to do investments. Um, that that want to take risks, but they aren't people that some some of them don't lead investments or don't have the experience of leading investments. And you need to have more more people leading investments in Kentucky, because there are people that are willing to follow those investors. But you know, in the early stages of companies that have some level of promise or that can get some level of traction. Um, you need to start having a good network set up for lead investors, lead investors. California actually does a really good job at this uh, through early stage incubators leading into accelerator, uh, leading into uh, their angel angel networks. Um, So they basically said, you know, we invested as a incubator um, time or whatever to the accelerator. The accelerator said, we put 50 grand into this, this company. And they push it to their angel networks. And their angel networks say, okay, well, there's a lead investor. Uh, we're we're going in now with this because it's a good company. And then the next piece is the VC groups are all backed. You know, it, it's bunched together very, very neatly in other areas uh, so that the chance of a deal set is much higher in uh, California or New York. And I think Kentucky needs to, you know, move forward with, with that type of idea or, um, you know, method. Uh, I, d- I don't know the best, best uh, way to do that, but um, from my experience, it is difficult in Kentucky. And, you know, even if we get, you know, all of our early rounds done here, and, and by early rounds, I mean, up to probably like 3 million, it is very likely that past that we have to go outside of Kentucky. Uh, whereas if I was raising only in California, I'm staying in California and I just move the company wherever, you know, they don't, they don't care if you're in Kentucky, as long as you were founded in California uh, and that your network was there. And and then they backed that and said, Oh, you, well, I mean, obviously you you're producing a good and there's good logistics there. Makes sense. Um, I th- I think that, you know, from my experience, we, I would like to see more deal sets for a lot of different companies, not just us.
1: Yeah. Uh, one thing that uh, App Harvest has said, and I want to hear your thoughts on this, uh, that they're really pushing is they want Kentucky to be the app, ag tech capital of the world. Uh, thoughts on that goal? Thoughts on what it takes to do that? Uh, are we are we anywhere near being able to achieve that? Because it's going to take you know, App Harvest, it's going to take more than just App Harvest. To come in here and, and make it the ag tech capital world right it's got to be they're doing it and we talked with um, we talked with their team Amy samples. Amy, Amy uh, about this which is like you got to create an entire ecosystem like you've got to build up the education system you've got to mm-hmm. build up the environment the, uh, the cities to have the workforce that is capable of helping with this uh, what are your thoughts on that making Kentucky an ag tech capital
2: so this is a very difficult question um, you told me to grill you. It's yeah, it, yeah. <laughs> I mean, so we we have contacts with the bashir administration. They're very interested in what we're doing. They plan to work with us moving forward. Um, and I don't I don't mean to, uh, try to throw anybody under the bus, etc. Uh, everybody has their own ideologies of what it means to be an ag tech, um, you know, capital of the world or or of of the United States, but. If we go back to bare bones reality, if it's a startup, if there is no deal sets being done in Kentucky and the orders of magnitude of you know uh, hundreds of millions of dollars being pushed in, and I mean, not just a one company, um, there needs to be eight, nine different companies uh, from seed level standpoint, uh, or I, I, actually let's, let's go back. Let's say there needs to be a hundred different companies at a seed level value, um, getting 2 to $3 million. You know, the founders brought a team together. They're doing something in ag. Uh, this can be good for Kentucky. That money needs to be there. It needs to be distributed. Let them go and work and try to see what's going to happen. Most of them are going to fail. Like, I would, I would probably say over half of those, those seed level companies will fail. Fall flat on their face. And, and now everybody's like, this is a bad investment. But that's actually not the case. Because now you have 50 companies that made it past the seed round.
1: I mean, if you've got a 50% hit rate, I mean, that's, that's really that's, good. Uh, un- yeah, that's unheard of. Yeah.
2: So, And it's probably going to be much lower than that. But if you, if, you, if you have an environment where you're saying, if you have a strong team that's willing to commit um, and, and put in, put in work and, and try to really solve a problem that's happening. And I'm not saying they could also be a vertical farm. Like stellar plants app harvest, so on and so forth. We're not the only ones, and we shouldn't be the only ones in Kentucky. There should be probably you know, 20 or 30 different types of companies moving forward, You know, mid-tier uh, or small to mid-tier companies. You know, We can't easily hit every small area in Kentucky that has rural populations that also need good quality food. Uh, the short answer is uh, we would need a lot of investment uh, both capital-wise, from investors, uh, and from a state level, um, be it pushing companies uh, to on, on on media, on on basically getting them out there, having them you know known throughout the investor channels, making them look better uh, as a de-risked uh, company. And until that starts happening, it's unlikely uh, that Kentucky can accomplish that. When you have California courting with, with their huge network, um, talent, and this is the key. This is talent that you know, these, these states are looking for. Is there a high-value high entrepreneur that can run a, a, a tech company in California? If you go on you know, Indeed, et cetera, there are VC firms right now um, that are looking for CEOs that have had experience with startups. Even if they failed, they don't care. They want people to have failed early on. And this is something that needs to st- um, change in Kentucky is the mindset of if you fail as a CEO um, or as a startup, that you're dead in the water to investors. No, that's the learning experience. You need to learn to, to, to do this right. And it's a very, very, very difficult process. Um, and I think that Kentucky is a very good area for ag but in the context moving forward in the future of what plant factories mean when you think about it from a high level i have a, a centralized means of production that can go anywhere i can be right outside of chicago i can be inside yeah. of
1: chicago mm-hmm.
2: i can be in wisconsin or i could be in naples i don't have to be in one area um and it's nice in the early stages saying i can have a truck deliver our food to 70 percent of the population that needs food from from kentucky and that only works early stages uh when everything isn't fully figured out yet we are still learning as companies so a lot of investment needs to happen now and these centralized um uh, headquarters you know need to be established in kentucky early on, like app harvest, you know, they got their feet, you know, rooted here, stellar plants, we we might actually end up with our feet rooted here. You need more companies like that. And then you need to have a a network that says, of us successful CEOs, of us successful executive groups, what else can we do to nurture this type of environment? When somebody comes up and says, I have this idea with ag tech you are the companies with the experience in ag tech. Can you help me maybe put $10,000 in or help me set a team up, endorse what I'm doing, et cetera. That needs to happen. Like this isn't a zero sum game. You need to have all of the industry experts, you know, give some of their time and say, we will help you as, as our company. Maybe we take an equity piece in a new startup you know, five years down the line. We're doing great. Uh, it's not much risk for stellar plants or, you know, another company that's made it. But you've upsides, already built the groundwork. Right. But the upsides are so great for Kentucky.
1: I got a question out of left field here. Marijuana. Marijuana is a high value crop that a lot of times is going to be, it's going to grow indoors. You know, that's where a lot of things are moving that in that direction. So you've got a high value crop that is worth more than what you're talking about leafy greens. Does that accelerate the space in your eyes?
2: So my, obviously I am, I'm from Illinois. Um, I think that, you know, marijuana should be um, legal Uh, at a bare minimum. Right now it should be decriminalized. Um, this is something that is a huge boon in economies that have moved forward to legalization. Uh, I think that you should have re- the same type of regulations as if you were selling produce to, to somebody should also you know, bleed over. You'd need, you should have you know, gap. You should have good manufacturing practices. You should be able to provide a high-value product. Uh, or high quality product that is safe for the community, uh, but no, absolutely, this is something that we everybody sees the writing on the wall. Like this is something that should have happened a long time ago, mm-hmm. and we should have the ability of producing, uh, you know, not only medical grade marijuana but recreational uh, grade marijuana in Kentucky, um, and oh. it'll be huge to the ecosystem, uh, you know, moving forward with. Uh, not only tax revenue, which is desperately in need. Um, you know, it will help schools. It'll help, you know, impoverished areas with, you know, jobs. Uh, it's something that is really important moving
1: forward. What, what I'm thinking is like, you know, when Tesla was first founded, they had to start with a, basically a sports car that was exciting and was like uh, enthusiasts could, could buy. And then they used that to fund, other, you know, the rest of the whole plan, right? They, the grand scheme needed a sports car. Does the grand scheme of long-term sustainable indoor farming? Does marijuana help? And do you view it as the um, uh, the sports car, or what's the Tesla's name in sports car? I'm blanking on their name of their the, the roadster, um, the roadster, no, the roadster. So is is marijuana the roadster of indoor farming?
2: So. I, I have a mixed answer for that. Yes and no. So no in the aspects that it is not needed for vertical farming to take off now because w- industries have already seen a value in indoor vertical farming. It will happen even if it's not in Kentucky, uh, even if it's not in Illinois. Powers to be have seen the growth rate uh, and, the, and the capital gains are going to happen by owning the market so that means somebody's going to win with a vertical farming one way or another that is just pure economics now yes (laughs) the reason i also say yes is because (laughs) a lot of the lighting technology is actually being driven by the marijuana industry Mm -hmm. Uh, a lot of the advancements in efficiency and the output that you can put out in led lights uh, you could sell these very high-end products to the medical marijuana industry and then to the recreational um, marijuana industry, and this is very important for vertical farming because we got to learn a bunch of things about LED lighting without the expense of you know the industry absorbing that hit. Uh, and what I mean by that is maybe you got LED lighting that wasn't you know the best for for, for plant cultivation, but because a lot more research and development had gone into, um, that's because you could sell these LEDs at a higher price, um, to cannabis companies, um,
1: who make more money than maybe a leafy green right? And, per, per crop.
2: Yes. And, and, and that trickles down, uh, that advancement trickles down into, you know, other industries like vertical farming, that's just doing produce. Uh, the same thing happens in NASA, you know, yeah. it's like every dollar invested in NASA, it's like $18 gained back into the economy. These technologies, you know, they circulate. Um, so it's been a driving force. Definitely.
1: Yeah. That, yeah. That just randomly popped in my head. I thought that was an interesting, interesting thought there. So let's, let's end it on a forward-looking statement as we always try to forward-looking statement on stellar plant, stellar plants. What What, what
2: do you got? So we are hoping to close our first round in the next couple months. Um, we do have a network of investors that are interested in us. Um, obviously, any other investors that are willing to to ride this uh, this wave with us, you know, you can get my contact information uh, pretty easily on on our website, uh, stellar-plants.com.
1: We do have some investors that listen pretty regularly, so hopefully, hopefully, you get some action.
2: Um. And then we will build out our pilot facility. Uh, this facility will be used to show off to uh, Robbins and Fresh and uh, Whole Foods. Now, from there, we hope to gain you know, some quite large contracts uh, based on the conversations that we've been having. Uh, and the produce that we generate from this facility, uh, we also have a different deal with Market Wagon uh, to go direct to consumer with them uh so that's what the produce would would go to um and i i'm I'm pretty bullish on the technology for vertical farming uh otherwise i wouldn't you know i wouldn't be in in the industry if i didn't think it was impossible and i i think that we we have a good shot based on our team